This book is my all-sufficient guide for faith and conduct. Convinced living water changes everything one life at a time. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. This morning we are going to look at the greatness of God in the life of the Apostle Peter. As we look at this incredible passage of Scripture, I want you to be ready first to write down Scripture verses. As we are in these studies of the greatness of God, how they work in the life of individuals, uh, there is so many areas of Scripture that I could use for our text, it would just be uh, too exhaustive for us to read all, but I am going to read a passage and then I'm going to reference many passes, passages and places in Scripture that you will need to write down as I reference them so you can study and know where it is and, and look it up. And I encourage you to do that every week, by the way, to write down any verses and do extra study. God's Word is what changes us. Hearing a sermon will not change us. God's Word changes us. God's Spirit moves in us. So understand that. Don't come saying, I've come to receive a sermon. You'll go away empty. Come saying, I am going to receive from the words of God. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So we're going to look at the greatness of God in the life of the Apostle Peter. We're looking at the book of Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 42 for our main text. And we're going to be again going several different places. And I want to read this passage of scripture. Then I want to give some insight and some overview to the Apostle Peter who he was, so let's look and see as we look at Acts chapter 2, starting at verse number 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each one of you be baptized in the name of our Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And with many other words, he uh, solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. My, 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 how those words ring for us today. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Praise the Lord. 
The words of God are powerful. That's why I say we need to understand no sermon, even as we are looking at this culmination of Peter preaching this sermon, it was not Peter or his sermon. It was his obedience to the word of God that through the name of Jesus Christ you will be saved. Hallelujah. So I want to look at the life of Peter. I want to look at this because as we look at Peter, the we say the apostle, but let me give you a little background. He didn't start out being an apostle. <laughs> and, and this is, is one of the, the greatest things I can encourage you with, is that men and women that we read about in Scripture, they were not super-Christians. They were not supernatural beings. They were not some people that, that had some special uh, power or rele- re- revelation of God's word. They were people just like you and I who believed God, took him at his word and said, I will believe God. And so let me encourage you that what God has done in every one that we read about, He will and can and does in you. Hallelujah. He still uses children. He still uses those of old age. And He uses all of us in between. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So Peter started out a fisherman. That's who he was. It's who he was because back then, kind of your trade was whatever your father did. Because you you learned that way. And here Peter, he's in a family, and it's a family of fishermen. So as he gets older, it just made sense. It was a natural thing for him to do. It was kind of what you did back then. You, you took on the vocation that you were taught, and most of the time that was taught through a family member. And so here we have Peter. He's a fisherman. He's a normal, everyday guy. And, and we have Jesus, the Son of God, who begins calling his first of 12 apostles or, or disciples. He called 12. We're not going to talk about all 12. But Peter was one of those 12 that Jesus called to be his disciples. Now, in the scripture, you read that Jesus had many people that followed after him and many people who said they were his disciples. And you also read in scripture that there are times when those many became very few because they turned their back on Jesus. And But the 12 were ones that he specifically called and spent the most time with and really poured into. And what you find as he calls the disciples that they came from all kinds of different backgrounds. Matthew was a tax collector and got called out of that. 
And so you have all these diverse backgrounds, some fishermen, some that were, were con considered elite. To be a tax collector back then was to be very well off. And that's where he called Matthew from. But here in the life of Peter, I want us to see that the greatness of God works through those who have ultimate issues. Oftentimes we can think, well, certainly God would use that person. Certainly, the, the, it's almost like Samuel when he went to anoint King David. And he said, when he got ready to anoint King uh, David, that he was, wasn't king yet, but he was just a shepherd boy. In fact, the prophet went to, the prophet would go and he would uh, anoint a person to be the future king. Well, when Samuel went to do this, uh, he lines up all of his sons, Jesse lines up all of his sons, and immediately Samuel looks at one of them and says, well, surely the, the, the Lord's king stands here. Because he thought, this guy's head and shoulders above them all. He's handsome. Here's the guy. And God says, don't even consider him. I've rejected him already. Because man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And so oftentimes you see in the word of God that God and God's word says this in 2 Corinthians, God uses the things that aren't to nullify the things that are. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and to frustrate them. To think, how does that happen? It happens by the power of God. It happens because God is able to take a man like Peter, a man who has ultimate issues. I mean, you look at the life of Peter, and I know Peter uh, gets a bad rap, but let's be honest, as you look at him, he really did have some issues. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, is where we read that Jesus calls him to be a disciple. He was a fisherman. Now, if you were calling somebody to be on your team, I don't know if I would head down to the beach and call out to somebody on a boat, hey, why don't you come and follow me? But he did. It was Peter, with all of his quirks, with all of his goofiness, with all of his weird, impulsive issues that God used. Here we see also in Matthew 14, when Jesus gets ready to walk on the water. Now, all of the disciples were afraid and Peter was the only one willing to get out of the boat, but he impulsively gets out and says, what have I done? <laughs> and he starts to sink, and he has to cry out to Jesus in Matthew 14, 29 through 30, Lord, save me! I'm perishing! How embarrassing. 
Have you ever got out there and tried and started to do something real good and then fall flat on your face? Peter did it. Peter got out there, and for the first couple moments, he was like, yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he looked and got the real situation and went, oh. <laughs> and he fell flat on his face. There in front of the disciples and Jesus and God and everybody. Peter was a guy that just had, he, he was flesh. And in his flesh, he had some real issues. Sometimes Peter thought he was all that. I know we've never done that. So he calls out, Lord, save me. Then in Matthew chapter 16, write this one down, verses 21 through 23. This is where Peter, in one moment again, has another stellar time where he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. Way to go. And then he talks about how he's going to die. And you look at it. Peter says, that's not happening to you, Jesus. And Jesus says, Satan, get behind me. The same one that stepped out, made this big, bold declaration, all of a sudden is being manipulated because he's weak in his flesh. And Christ has to tell him, no, you, 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 that mind of Christ you just had, you just lost. <laughs> Have you ever been there? <laughs> Have you ever been there where, where you've said, man... You stepped out and all of a sudden you're just like, where did, what did I, how did I get here anyway? Peter had those moments. He had some times where he really had issues. And there, what he, imagine what he must have felt like when he made that declaration that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this. You can almost see him looking around to the disciples saying, See that? Only to discover a few moments later that if we're not careful, all of us will go back to our ultimate issues. If we don't walk in the Spirit... If we don't stay in Him, all of us have moments where we fall back to those issues because we're flesh and blood and we're sinful apart from Christ. There's nothing good that lives in us. Then, even when Jesus got ready to wash the disciples' feet... Peter just had to, to do it his way. He, 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 he wanted so bad to, to, to show and to take care almost of Jesus. And, and there were times where Jesus said, Peter, he even said to him, you don't understand what I'm doing, but let me do it. And then after even doing that, he says, Lord, never, you'll never wash my feet. To the point where Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you're not going to have any part of me. Then to the point 
of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he already around the table, around when they were taking Passover, the, the meal, they were sharing a meal, and they got in such a heated discussion that uh, there, as you read it, the disciples even said, look, God, we got two swords right here. And Jesus finally says, enough. You're not getting this. Let's move on. <laughs> and so... There, though, they go out right after Jesus is making the point that, look, it's not about the sword. And he's there in the garden, and it's where he's about to get ready to be betrayed. And here this group of soldiers comes, and Peter, that impulsive instinct, when they go to grab Jesus, grabs his sword and whack! Off comes the ear in John chapter 18, verse 10. And the person's ear is severed. And Jesus is like, really? And he grabs the ear, he puts it back on, and it's healed immediately. How many times God has healed an ear because of my stupidity? Do you hear me? How many times I know that God has had to say, well, here we go again. i got to do a miracle because he's, he's got himself involved in something he shouldn't have. I've been there. And even sometimes having good intentions for God, I miss him. Somehow feeling that I had to interact to save God. You've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again. When we talk about Peter and us who had ultimate issues, God is not hung up on your hang-ups. Do you hear me? God is not hung up on your hang-ups. It doesn't shake him. It doesn't surprise him. He knows us. And he's not affected by that. Praise God, he covers us. Just like he took the ear and covered Peter. Praise the Lord. So the first thing I will tell you is if you have ultimate issues, don't be afraid. So did everyone else we read about in the scripture and when we have ultimate issues is where God's greatness can show the best. It's where he can show the best. Praise the Lord. So let's move from that and let's talk then about something else. As we talk about ultimate betrayal. See, Peter, again, with all of his goofy issues, with all of his weird impulsive and all of his hang-ups, he got to a place the Bible talks about where the chips were down. And he makes a declaration in Luke 22, 31 through 35. He says how... Jesus, all of this may happen, 
but I'm willing right now, right at this moment, to give my life for you. I'm ready, God, to die. I'm going to do it. I'm going to stand. And he makes this bold, incredible statement again. And he did it in front of all of those who were closest to Jesus. There's no way out. Peter knew what it was to have good intentions. I don't think Peter's intentions were bad. I think quite on the contrary. I think he really honestly wanted to do good. But the Bible says that it is impossible apart from God for us to do anything. See, the problem was not Peter's desire. It was that who he was allowing the power to be in. As long as Peter had the desire and did it himself, he failed. So he makes that big, bold statement of how, for him, he's going to stand when the chips are down. He's going to make sure that even if he has to die, and Jesus looks at him, at verse 61 of chapter 22 of Luke, and says, Peter, let me tell you what the truth is. Before the rooster is going to crow this next morning three times, you will deny that you even know who I am. And Jesus said it right after Peter made his big, bold, I will die with you statement. Jesus knew Peter. He knew, and then in, I'm sorry, that part is Luke 22, 54 through 60. Write that down. I gave you, I jumped ahead a little bit, where where Peter talks about uh, Uh, making the the bold declaration, and then Jesus in verse 60 says, Peter, I'm going to tell you something serious. Before the rooster crows three times, you're going to tell people you don't even know who I am. Now, this is the incredible thing about Jesus And Peter coming to this moment of ultimate betrayal. Jesus forewarned him. He knew. See, I believe the only reason Jesus had that conversation with Peter is because of his love. And he wanted to know, Peter, when it happens, he said, I'm going to pray for you. You look at that verse, you look at that whole chapter, he says, Peter, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. If you've ever been, had flour in a sifter... Have you ever had that happen? 
where it's like that, and he's sifting you. He said he desires to sift you. (coughs) And then he says before the rooster is going to crow, And then it gets down, and, and, and you can turn with me here real quick so you can read the words in Luke 22. Yeah, got my. Let, let me let me give you these these ver- in in Luke twenty two is where we are. Actually, in verse thirty four through thirty five is where Jesus has his conversation with Simon about him uh, denying him three times before the rooster crows. So thirty through thirty five is where Jesus talks with him about that ultimate uh, betrayal that he is going to make. And again, why did Jesus bring it up? He, did, he brought it up because he knew it was going to be an issue. He knew that Peter, in all of his boldness, was making a promise he never could fulfill. Let me tell you, no wonder the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, tells us, be careful when we enter the house of God not to utter anything before him. Because God is in heaven and we're on the earth. And when we make promises, we don't understand what we're promising. God says don't make those. Just accept God's word for what it is. And that's where James encourages us, let our yes be yes and our no be no. Because anything else leads us to sin. When we make bold declarations, we get into trouble. So then in verses 54 through 60 is where we find that Peter is in the process at that moment of denying Jesus. And he does it just like Jesus says, denying him, not once, not twice, but three times. Three times. I don't know how, it had to have been one of those uh, almost such surreal moments. You've just had a conversation with Jesus whom you know is by his own declaration that Peter made, the Son of God, and yet, although Jesus told him he was going to betray him, imagine what he felt as the words were coming out of his mouth. No wonder the Word of God says, the flesh is weak and the Spirit is willing. In our flesh, we will not please God. So, my point is this. Peter came to a moment of ultimate betrayal. But guess what? Jesus had him covered anyway. 
Do you hear me? Look at verse 61 and 62. And the Lord turned. This verse is right after Peter made his third and final declaration that, man, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine what that must have been like? That at the very last moment to actually look and see that Jesus is staring right at you. Now, I will tell you, to my embarrassment, I have had times where I've been to the Lord over whatever it was, how I made these bold declarations. This time, God, it's going to be different. This time, Lord, I'm going to... I'm going to do what? I can't do anything except God's word to say, God, I am a wretched, pitiful sinner who needs salve from you over my eyes. I need to be healed of my sin and myself. I am desperately wicked and beyond cure, Lord. Without you, I'm in, I'm in trouble. Peter looked right, Jesus looked right at Peter, and it says, And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out, verse 62, and wept bitterly. Have you had a moment where you felt like, you know what, this is just the ultimate betrayal. I, I know that God forgives sin, but I've been here so many times, how can God even stand to look at me? Now, I believe that you need to have a little insight into the character of God, because Oftentimes in our flesh, if we were to be in there in that situation, when Peter had denied him three times after Jesus even told him, if it were be us in our flesh, we'd be standing there looking at him like, I don't think that's what Jesus did. I think Jesus, when he turned and looked at Peter, looked at him with absolute love and Jesus knew Peter was hurting and he looked at him and said I got you covered buddy I got you covered when the enemy of your soul comes to you and talks to you about your ultimate betrayal in the name of the Lord, say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Because Jesus and his blood has me covered. 
Hallelujah. It is not that I am going to be able to do anything that I try to serve the Lord. It is because at my weakest moment he loves me. It is because when I was still a sinner, he found me, loved me, saved me. And because of that, I will serve him with all my heart. At that moment of absolute betrayal, know he's got you covered. Well, then let's move on to the last one. After that ultimate betrayal, after that time, oh, it must have been something. Because after Peter went out and wept bitterly. He had a long period of time where he must have been completely distraught and felt like it's over. I mean, Jesus was crucified. The stone was rolled up. He's like, what is there left? And even after... Jesus rose from the dead. That, I'm sure, caused him such joy. And yet I know as he rose and and then it talks about in the scripture that Jesus several times in the Gospels toward the end of each one talks about those times that Jesus came and visited the disciples after his resurrection. But there was still this thing that had to be in the back of Peter's mind. You know, Jesus looked right at me. Right when I was in the act of my most desperately wicked time of betraying him. How can I ever move beyond it. And yet, in John chapter 21, we see that Jesus came. It was a moment where I believe, again, we we sometimes can look with Peter very cynical, but in, in Chapter 21, the very first part of John, chapter 21, it talks about the G, that uh, Peter said, I don't know what anybody else is doing, but I'm going fishing. You know, when we, when we think it's all over, we have a tendency to go back to what we've always done. Don't we? We say, well, I might as well just go ahead and do what I've always done. And when that happens, Jesus still meets us there. And here we have Peter there, and who happens to show up on shore? It's Jesus. And they talked about how they'd fished and not caught anything, and Jesus yells from the shore, let the net down on this side of the boat. And as they let the net down, they begin to pull up, they say... And it's recorded, 153. You look at it in John chapter 21. They pulled up 153, and it says large fish. To the point where the boat 
was in trouble. And it says, with a, such a large catch, still the net didn't break. And when that happened, Peter said, it's the Lord. <laughs> and guess who was the first one out of the boat? Peter. He didn't even wait for it to get to shore. Read the story. It says they were, were, were a ways from shore, but it was short enough that he could get out, and he got out and ran to the shore. He couldn't wait. This is the place where they believe that it's quite possibly that Jesus met them on the shore of Galilee. Of course, like anything... We try to build an edifice and make a religion out of it. Isn't that true? Uh, so I'm not doing anything to point a building out to you. That means nothing. I'm just giving you a reference that on the shore of Galilee is where Jesus met them. And it's possible that, that it's there, they believe. But the important thing is, is Jesus met him there. Turn with me to Luke 21, and let's read some of the words that Jesus says to Peter. John chapter 21. John's Gospel chapter 21, looking at verses 15 through 17. This is the point where Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I do love you. And Jesus asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? And he responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds again with feed my sheep. Then Jesus asks him, it says in 17, a third time, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved, but then Jesus says something incredible in verse 18. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. 19 says, now he said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter got reinstated, and then Jesus says to the disciples, and you can read the rest of that, we don't have time, but there Jesus reconfirms his love for Peter. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus, before he ascends to his father, says, don't leave Jerusalem until you've received the Holy Spirit. 
not meaning the indwelling, because the indwelling they had already received. You look at Jesus a few chapters back, he breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture did Jesus do something where it didn't happen. They received the indwelling of the Spirit. What was Jesus talking about? He was talking about the baptism where the Spirit of God comes on you. So there, he says, wait for this because it will endue you with power from on high. And here, we look at Peter, who was a person with ultimate issues, who went through an ultimate betrayal, and yet we see him at a point of ultimate surrender. And at that moment, where he surrendered to God, became completely the Lord's, even to the point where he was willing to say, God, whatever it is you want me to do, he's endued with power from on high. You read in the book of Acts chapter 1 that they all thought they were drunk because these strange words are coming out of them, but everybody is hearing the gospel in their own tongue. And God's doing a miracle. And there, in the midst of all this, Peter, because he's under absolute surrender, gets ready to have absolute maximum impact for the gospel. He stands up, and in front of all these people, we hear him say what we read as our text. The fact is, Jesus, whom you've crucified, is both Lord and Savior. And as he says that, he gives the, the, the message, he preaches what they need to do, talking about what they needed to have forgiveness that the Lord would do. And by the way, in verse number 39, don't you miss it. If you've ever wondered whether God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he says this promise of God's salvation and God's moving, God's indwelling, God's spirit coming on you is for you, it's for your children, it's for all who are afar off, and then he makes the set, it's for all whom the Lord our God will call. All. That includes everyone. Here's what I will tell you about ultimate surrender. If you say, Pastor Brian, if, if that's what happened, when we have ultimate surrender, look at what God did. We read here how many came to Christ. We read about what was happening. Why is it that we won't surrender? Because the process, we often try to circumvent. 
See, until we can come to the point of ultimate surrender, we have to get past our ultimate issues, and we have to get past the fact that God knows that you're going to betray Him. God's not surprised. What He does want is your heart to say, God, I will serve you anyway. I'm not going back. I am going to be yours. I'm not going back. The world is not an option for me. I may fall and scrape my knee. I may even break a bone, but I'm not going back. I may have a day that's bad. I may even have a week that's bad, but I'm not going back. My heart is set on the cross. My gate is for the kingdom of God, and I'm not going back. When that comes, oftentimes when we talk about surrender, the term abandonment comes in. And we're scared of that word because... We think abandonment means that we're going to be without a house, without money, somewhere in Africa where it's cold and dark, with no light. Let's be honest. When we think about abandonment, we think, well, can't I just serve the Lord and be comfortable? We have a wrong We have a wrong concept of abandonment. Abandonment is not a place where you necessarily lose all of your possessions. Abandonment comes when you come to the end of yourself. That's what God wants you to come to the end of. God's not trying to take away your stuff. God's trying for you to let go of self. And as long as we're willing to hold on to self, we will never see ultimate surrender. Ultimate surrender is that point where we say, my need to obey God is greater than my need for self. Bow your head with me.